coaches and middle instructional leaders often find themselves in uncharted territory. They're in their role because they are highly skilled, and while many have the tools to inspire and lead others, they may feel adrift to trying to find their place. Well, according to Josh Gates, host of Travel Channel's show Expedition Unknown, seeing the world is a prerequisite to understanding one's place in it. Both travelers and coaches have a responsibility to adapt to the people and individuals around them. Otherwise, as Gates says, we miss the whole point, the opportunity to gain a new perspective. Every story has worth since a person takes the time to tell it. The key is to listen. Welcome back to the Grounded Learners Guild, the podcast that gets real about education, authentic leadership, and the transcendent power of being a part of a highly functioning team. Here are your very own guildmates and hosts, Casey Veach, Emily Coquelin, and me, Jenny Labrie. The true secret to seeking the unknown is in the looking, not in the finding. The journey is what matters. This quote is from Josh Gates, the actual host of the Travel Channel show Expedition Unknown. Isn't this something we want all of our learners, students, and adults alike to feel and value as being part of our educational systems? Each new year, much like our students and colleagues start over, we too as coaches need to launch a new journey of learning. Anyone better to take a few pointers from than an adventure, explorer, a travel expert? So whether you're a new coach, you're new to your particular school or system, or just starting out a new school year, it is our intention here to chart a course of relaunching coaching and to share a wealth of resources that we've collected over the years. All right, folks. So yeah, Expedition Unknown, talking about exploring new territory. Anytime I get a chance to talk coaching with the two of you, (laughs) I am down for it. Back to our roots, right? Mm -hmm. Back home. It's a homecoming. It is. It is. All right. So Casey, can you take us through this metaphor connection a little bit? I'm not super familiar with Expedition Unknown. Yeah. So this is an actual show that one of my dear friends absolutely loves. It centers around its host named Josh Gates. He is kind of a quirky, acquired, goofball kind of individual who sees himself more as an Indiana Jones, but really hams it up and plays into things. He goes around through different locations and investigates some of the world's biggest mysteries, right? Like landmarks or trying to find lost treasure like Captain Morgan's gold or the tomb of Genghis (sighs) Khan. Things that have evaded like actual scientists. He's like, I'm going to go find these things. And spoiler alert, he never finds really anything (laughs) of value. But he throws himself into these situations and and really takes the time to interview local people and the experts to really immerse himself in this exploration, right? And there's something about him that makes him so approachable as he goes forward into these adventures with this joy and humor. And like I said, he never finds anything. but just focuses on getting to know these places and these people and share this learning with all of his viewers. So it's kind of a cool episode sort of thing. 
Yeah, so I could definitely already right off the bat see some of the connections there. Although, of course, we hope that they're actually finding something of value when people are coaching. I with sure us. hope so. <laughs> and I think this is an episode that I know I really felt passionate about writing at the start of this season four for us because I'm actually in a new role this year for personal and family reasons. I've decided to become a coach full time again. And I think it's really important for us as coaches to really view all of our new years, just like our teachers do as new years. And it's important to kind of calibrate our expectations. And it's something I've had to think about myself as I'm starting in my new role in my new district, that I'm not going to get to that amazing deep coaching cycle with every single person that I work with. Year one is really about establishing those relationships, finding out about the staff you're going to be supporting, and giving yourself grace to acknowledge that this is going to be hard. All new coaches, because you've got turnover in your buildings, you've got teachers of varying experience levels. And so starting a new year as a coach, whether you're new to the role or just new to your building or even just that new year, it's important to acknowledge this this work is hard. It is incredibly meaningful and important and energy giving, but it's hard. It's hard. Casey, I love that you mentioned the part where, you know, like especially if you're in year one of your coaching versus your second year, third year, fourth year. And this isn't just for coaching experience, but even like you said, your location. So Casey, you have been a coach for many, many years, but you find yourself in a new building in a new place. And for anyone out there that might not yet know, I am coaching coaches in my district and have been for several years now. And it's so funny how often I find myself when I'm speaking to our new to coaching coaches or even new to our district coaches about where they are in their journey. And the research in coaching not only suggests, but indicates that it takes upwards of three years in a consistent role for you to really start feeling the momentum of the work that you do. Not that the first three years don't matter. In fact, they really, really do. But you're laying foundational groundwork for that to propel you into the impact that you see. But it takes years to get there. I mean, even just think about teaching, right? How many years does it take you to feel like you're mm-hmm. you're kind of getting your stride? The same thing goes with coaches, but it's so relational and you're working with adult learners that there's some other implications to consider. And we'll go through that as we go on today, right? Yeah. And I would even add that when you're talking about instructional coaching and how to really get it to take off, a lot of the things that make instructional coaching grow, which we will discuss shortly, really thrive on consistency. And even if you have been in the same building for year to year, If you're even assuming that you have the exact same staff, there's always turnover of staff from say year to year, or there's administrative changes, or there's policy changes, or there's a new professional learning focus. So even when you have like the dream set up for consistency where you've got the same coaching team and you're coaching some of the same people and you're in the same building, nothing really is truly stable. There's always ongoing changes that are going to shift your practices. So I really like this idea of starting every year as as if it is brand new because you pretty much have to. A new expedition each year. Yep. Exactly. And that's a perfect segue, Jenny, into our first section. Through each of these little segments, we're going to kind of be anchoring it in this travel, exploration, expedition kind of mindset. But ultimately, all of them help create that backpack or that toolkit that you're going to need as a new or relatively new or just a new year coach. And I think the first thing that it's important that we see Josh Gates do 
in his Expedition Unknown series is he goes around and interviews a lot of people to understand the lay of the land, to understand, you know, what the locals think and feel about this particular journey or this artifact that he's looking to go find. And the connection for us as coaches here is establishing a true partnership with your building level leader, whether that's your principal, your AP, or even your district level leadership. What is their sense of what coaching should look like and sound like? And I think there's no better person to lead us through this part of our journey, Jenny, than you. (laughs) Well, first, I have to speak to the backpack. I have not watched Expedition Unknown, but I was thinking of Dora the Explorer as soon as you brought up the backpack. I couldn't help myself. So yes, the principal partnerships are huge. This is something that Emily and I, can, we can go back, you know, way back to. We've gone through so many. When oh, we yeah. were coaching together as a team in our own building, we went through several changes in leadership and especially principals. And, and mm-hmm. there were some that we worked with really well and others that were perhaps not as involved with needing to meet with us as coaches. And and so this journey has taken us into a way of thinking about not only our systems, but also our buildings as these teams of distributive leadership and our principals really thriving and needing that person that sits at the table with a voice for instruction that can focus on the instruction because the principal has so much on their brain and has to compartmentalize all of the organizational elements within a system. I see this at home with my husband who is a building principal. And so when he gets to talk instruction and he has that person at the seat at the table to talk to them that can focus on that, they're really, really grateful for that. But it takes so much effort to lay the groundwork for that to be a thing because in order for coaches, there's this like paradox, right? In order for a coach to be really effective with teachers, you want to keep them on that equal playing field of reciprocity with their teachers, right? Oh, absolutely. But you also want them to be able to sit at the table with a what we call BLT, right? A building leadership team of administrators and be able to speak admin, right? Or, you know, we kind of translate using administrative speak. And so how do you do that while also maintaining that role for them? And so it does require some elements of forethought from a systems lens of how do we foster those partnerships. And so what we've worked on, especially in my district for the last couple, probably we're in year three now, of really establishing some strong partnerships between our building principals and our instructional coaches. We have them from all five of our elementary buildings in our middle school buildings and even at the high school level, and they look very different. For example, a partnership between a coach and a principal at the high school is going to look different because you have so many other leaders with our division heads or assistant principals where that might look different at a middle or an elementary. But nonetheless, you want to have these strong partnerships established and put together to help us feel like we have the instruction at the table for conversation. So that's talking about the big picture, right? But also clarifying what does that role look like between the two of the principal and the coach. Emily, I loved that you mentioned consistency. That also goes here, especially as new teams come and go. If your principal has any change out, you want to, from a systems lens, be thinking about how do we foster this? How do we empower our coaches to have that voice while also maintaining the level of reciprocity they need with teachers? And that's how a system can help the relationship between the principal and coach. And then finally, you also want to have that connection to the 
the SIP and the priorities of the coach. So Casey, you're talking about the interviewing. That's so necessary. It's not only knowing your people from the ground level, the people that are boots on the ground and your teachers, but also interviewing those principals and those assistant principals for their goals with their SIP and other priorities within the building. So they are constantly making those connections. And that's what a building coach can really do for you from that perspective. And I think too, it's helpful to have these regular connection points with the principal because oftentimes a coach is able to be in and out of classrooms more easily and provide that clear pulse of what learning and teaching looks like in a system. But I also think those meetings have to occur so that you can set kind of some boundaries, right? We've always felt on this particular podcast as coaches that the learning journey of the teacher is theirs. And it's up to us as coaches to inspire them to share that journey, not to be, oh, well, this so this particular person's classroom management really needs some work principal. I want to let you know that we're working on that because there is no greater thing that can torpedo a coaching relationship if you don't have some sort of ground rules set in place of how we are going to share the outcomes of our work together. And I think if you have that clear partnership defined and regularly connect with your principal, it's much easier to say, hey, we're starting to teeter over this line that we've already established. We're not going to go across when it comes to what the day-to-day coaching conversations actually feel like because learning can be messy. We don't want our kids' teachers to share all about their chaotic learning journeys with everybody. We want that to be a conversation with us as a parent. And so we want to treat those educators and adults as professionals and show that highest level of respect. Agree with that. And I would also even say that when this is done really well, what you're also going to see outside of even just like adhering to that particular set of norms is you are going to be doing a little bit of building temperature checking for that principal or that building leader mm-hmm. on behalf of your teachers. So there's actually like an advocacy opportunity there too. Once the boundaries and once the relationship and all these communication points are established, can make, for example, professional learning decisions with that principal for the staff if there's an upcoming in-service or, you know, there's a topic that keeps coming up in your coaching cycle. So whereas the details mm-hmm. and the particular person about the coaching, like you said, belongs to the, t- the coachee, the teacher, when there's a lot of trends or a lot of conversations that keep happening about the same topics or the same things. There's such a beautiful opportunity for the administrator and the coach to help lead something. And problem solve. And problem solve. And problem solve. What might that look like? Well, I love that you guys are also talking about the piece of how very important it is to have those expectations on the onset It's so easy, especially in August and September, at least around here in the Midwest, that's when we start our school year, to jump into the year, just to to fly into it because there's so much going on. But there's some intentional setting. So in the role that I do, not only am I mentoring and coaching the coaches throughout the district, but I'm also facilitating these conversations between our principal and our coaches, especially for new teams. As those teams establish over the years, they don't need me as much, but the newer teams have that non-biased, non-judgmental facilitator in me to come in and help lay that groundwork and talk through those expectations so that there's less of that awkwardness so that when you, because you will get into that rub of something's going to happen, that either the coach is going to be, do I, 
do we, where's the line? Where's the line between the work that I'm doing? What do I say and don't I say? Instead of having to deal with that in the heat of the moment, establishing that on the onset is super important. And then the second thing, Casey, that you had mentioned about that consistency of meeting over time, it's so easy. And this is to no fault of a building leader. Again, I'm married to one who, and I have so much empathy for the amount of work that goes into their roles, but it's really easy for those meetings, those consistent check-ins to kind of go by the wayside. And so when we have those expectations on the onset of like, this is a standing meeting that we have, at least from our district lens, we, we recommend having it twice a month that it's already on the calendar. And then if it's something that needs to get moved, it gets moved, but it doesn't get er erased, right? It's one of those that you still want to make sure that you carve out time for because it's so easy to miss those. And then we've come to see some teams that are loving it so much that they even meet once a week because they realize the, the value of it for their buildings. So we've talked about the importance of having a partnership and really getting a sense for what expectations should be. And that in the Travel Channel show comes through interviews with kind of high level people. But then once you have that information, how do you build those inroads? How do you start really diving in to getting the lay of the land yourself? And so for us in coaching, I think that's really about laying the foundation for relationships. And I know, Emily, you have done this very, very recently in your position. So I would love to learn from you on what this looks like. Yeah, well, boots on the ground, baby. So there are a couple of things that I'm sure Josh does to make inroads with folks on the show and just not always be going to the top, but getting down there, getting your hands dirty and and getting in the mix with the people that you actually are working with and serving on a regular basis. So I think we've mentioned this before in our, back in the day, we had that, uh, my so-called the life coaching uh, life. Yeah. yeah, The coaching, <laughs> my so-called coaching life. Yeah. I definitely remember talking about Jordan Catalano, but <laughs> we were talking about that sense of being visible. Right. And I think that's important in the explorer sense in the getting to know your teacher sense too. So it's interesting. You mentioned I've been through this recently, but one thing that I've noticed this year is that the location of where the coaches are has changed every year, even in the same building. So that sense of visibility is something you can use to build that consistency, right? You don't necessarily have control over all of the different things that make coaching consistent. So you have to figure out ways to make yourself visible to teachers so they know who you are and what you do even if they don't know where you are in my particular situation. So being visible in the hallways, being out, greeting people, coming to different department meetings is often helpful. And uh, I know we had mentioned this in the other episode, but I'm just going to throw it out there again. Jenny, do you remember what it meant to go fishing? Oh, yeah, baby. What does it mean? (laughs) That's what Emily and I would do when we were looking for business. We're casting a net for people and we would find the most populated or the high traffic area in the building to just plop ourselves down and do some other work or to just sit there and chat with people um, to drum up any kind of business, especially when you have you you have your freaking flyers. But if you're looking for some new if you're looking for some new inspiring sites. Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and I think, Emily, too, I've for the last couple of months as I've been in my new role, this is really what I've been striving to do most of the time, yeah. right? I will, our middle school is very pod based. So I'll go out and hang in one of the pods or the groups of classrooms all clustered together. There's like a center series of workspaces and I'll just sit there and I'll work on some of the curriculum stuff and people will see me, you know, writing away on my iPad and they're like, whoa, that's cool. What's that? And it starts that conversation, but it really is all about just 
being visible, getting out there, making those connections and laying those seeds for how can I help? What's going on? Tell me a little bit about your students. Can I see what you're doing? It's definitely easier to have that talking point when someone is in your space versus them coming to the coaching office or the coach's space. It evens the playing field, makes you feel a bit more approachable. Yeah. And really no connection is too small. Like it doesn't matter if you're actually talking about instruction to start with, just learn some people's names, learn who got a puppy this summer, learn who's good at fantasy football, you know, just get to learn some people's names if you're new to the spot. And again, if you're not, that there's a sense of catching up at the beginning of the year. You know, I, I think a lot of people like are like, oh, somebody else is going to ask me how my summer is. But really, mm-hmm. especially when that you are in the mix with people that you've known for a couple of years, you're going to get to know things about people that will create conversations, many of which will lead to instructional conversations, as long as you're being intentional about having these conversations and remembering what people are interested in or intrigued by or what's important to them just at that particular snapshot in time. All right. So another thing that I would mention as being really important for building relationships, especially when you're just starting out, you know, like I said, no connection is too small, but there is going to be a point where you're going to want to move things to a little bit deeper level. Make sure you're talking about not just, hey, how are you? What's going on? How are your kids? Mm -hmm. But like making sure that you're having instructional conversations and that you're able to keep engaging in instructional coaching practice. Because Casey, you mentioned like early on in a new role, it can be really frustrating, especially if you've been used to coaching at a really deep level with a staff that's been doing things consistently for a certain amount of years. And whether it's you who've changed or something else that's changed or the role of coaching that's changed, when those deep coaching interactions aren't happening, it can feel superficial and frustrating for a coach. I'm just going to notice and name that. For sure. And I think part of that comes into play, like I found myself doing this recently, in addition to my role as instructional coach, I'm also PLC support, which is totally new. And it just so happens that I am PLC support for math, an area that is not my content, is an area of opportunity for me. And so I'm very vulnerable and honest with the teachers that I'm working with. Like, can I come into your classroom to get a sense for what this curriculum is so that I can become more familiar. I'm not going in to fix or to put on this face that I know all the things and that I think has done a really good job in building some inroads because I'm approaching things from a learner standpoint too. It levels the playing field for coach and teacher quite a bit. If someone is vulnerable and like, I can learn from you, can I please come in and hang out? And I'm starting to get to the place already where people are like, oh, I need to have you come in to actually help me with my kids. I'm like, yes, yes, that would be wonderful. Thank you so much, please. <laughs> yes, I do. may ask questions while I'm trying to help the kids, but I will ask the questions that likely your kids may be asking as well, because I'm trying to learn the content too. And speaking of asking questions, I think another thing you can be really vulnerable about that can help make headway in terms of coaching practice being a really intentional thing that you're doing with a teacher is being vulnerable about where you're at in your practice as well and needing people to practice with. So like if, especially if you're in that phase of things where you are regularly talking to a teacher, but you're not doing the really deep 
coaching or like doing the structure that a, a real impact cycle would be for your practice, you can say, hey, so like, for instance, I've been trained recently in cognitive coaching. So I'd be like, look, they've had us go into this cognitive coaching thing for two years now. And clearly it's very important to the district. They've invested a lot in it. I haven't had a lot of opportunities to practice this particular coaching map that we do. Would you be cool with just letting me like bang through this with you? It's going to seem a little by the book, but I, I just need some practice. Is that cool? And like more often than not, if it's a teacher that is someone that you're comfortable with and is comfortable with you conversationally, they're willing to go that extra step with you. You know, yep. teachers want to help. Yep. I had one recently who I'm I'm working with on some of the behavior stuff that we talked about in our first couple of episodes. And she's already said, so I noticed you're on the evaluation list. You could try anything with me. I'm like, I've known you for such a short period of time. And I love you so much for saying that. That's awesome. But so many of the teachers are willing to help you if you are open, vulnerable, and honest and say, I really want to try this and I feel safe enough with you to try it. You want to, is, is that okay? And oftentimes they will say yes. The two things that you guys had just mentioned here is just something that I notice so often with the coaches that I'm working with frequently, especially those that are still learning how to coach or even those that aren't coaches that are working with coaches and trying to figure out what do coaches do. And so often, have you guys come across, because I feel like I have, so many people believe, not all, but many believe that a coach needs to hold themselves with, because they are very intelligent, but they need to have some kind of expert skill to bring to the table. Yes, we're, we are, as coaches, instructional coaches, experts in instruction, but do you guys find that, that there's often either coaches that come that way or you have teachers that believe like, oh, you know what, I don't know, I'm a math teacher and your content area is ELA, as a coach, you can't help me. And they they miss the part of what you guys are talking about there is the key to coaching isn't that we know any actually anything and it's more in the <laughs> moves, the coaching moves that you bring to that relationship yeah. and that partnership with the teacher because instinctually as humans, most of us do not just come into a conversation to be an active listener as well as an effective questioner. And those are skills that have taken me and many so many years over time to get better and better and better at that you have to practice. And it's so silent and it's so hidden and so many people don't know about it. And so it's like, what do you like? What exactly do you do here? You know, but but really it, <laughs> it, it it's a part of our coaching moves that is so silent and it is hard to distinguish what you do. So I'm just even thinking about one of the coaches that I've worked with that's like, but I feel so uncomfortable if I don't come in knowing what I need to say or knowing what I need to do or knowing the content. And it's like, if you come in that way, you're actually doing it wrong, right? Yeah. Well, I think that Casey had mentioned reciprocity earlier and a lot of it really comes- Oh, it was Jenny. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was you. Okay. So, you know, reciprocity is really a key principle that we need to make sure that teachers understand what we're saying when we use that word. Because, you know, we're never going to know more about every single content area in a school, especially in a secondary school. We're never going to have that same level of expertise. And I definitely remember framing it this way, Jenny, that we would often say, like, look, you, the teacher, are bringing this knowledge of your particular students. You have taken the time and built the relationships with them. And in your particular subject area, you have more expertise there. Ours is research and pedagogy and flexibility and adult learning know how to be able to make sure that we're able to help you 
engage in the learning that you want for your class. I'm never going to know more about calculus than a calculus teacher. Nope. It's not going to happen. Reciprocity and the understanding of the coach's role and the teacher's role helps with that a lot. And my my go-to hall pass, Jane Kesey, would say that there are types of people who prefer coach as expert, but that is certainly not all types of people. So that's important to understand as well. Okay. So this is less about really building a relationship and more about sustaining it. So once you've you've talked to a teacher, you've had a meeting with a teacher, and again, regardless to where you're at in terms of the depth of coaching, if you're working with somebody and talking to them about anything that's going on in their classroom, a really important thing to do is to make sure that you're able to sustain that connection and make sure that the help that you're able to offer them is going to increase in frequency, and then hopefully in depth. So as an example, if you are meeting with a teacher, I think it's really important to make sure that when you leave that meeting, that you are leaving with a sense of what you are going to be doing next. So Jenny, I know you and I did this a lot before any meeting with a teacher was to end. We would say, all right, this has been a great conversation. We're ending with a couple of things to try. First of all, what's my homework? So what is it that you want me to do, prepare, build, have, or discuss with you next time so that we can we so that we can keep this going and I can continue to work in service of you and your students. And then secondly, when are we meeting next? Let's get something on the calendar. What's a good time for you? Never leave without that calendar's appointment nope. set, right? Nope. <laughs> no. Nope. That is the biggest <laughs> hack, man. If you if you do not have that set, oh man, it's it's rough to keep it going. <laughs> yeah. And and oftentimes they'll say things like, oh come whenever. I'm like, okay, but wait. So we're talking about behavior, right? Which is the class that you really are thinking could use the support? Oh, well, that's definitely fourth hour. Okay, I'm going to come to that mm -hmm. one then. So it's it's yep. not an open-ended invitation wherever. There's intention behind yeah. when Book that it. next meeting's going to happen. Yeah. Yep. And even if you get, a, oh, well, things are really busy or, oh, we're coming up on finals. Like, okay, well, how about I check in with you the first week after finals? And, well, you know, so like yep. you even have to throw something else out there, even if it does seem like there's an attempt to punt. You want to try to get mm -hmm. something on the calendar or, or at minimum – I will check in with you at such and such a time and we'll schedule something. And now. in those yep. cases, I got to check in scheduled for this week. Yeah. <laughs> and in those cases, I bet Casey, you have that on your calendar to remind yourself to check in with that person. I do that even if I'm not extending the calendar appointment to the individual, I put still put something on my calendar to make sure I don't drop it. Right. I'm sure you do too. I'm sure I learned that from you. I will do you one better, even doing a scheduled send on a follow-up email, like knowing when you oh, said you're going to check in with somebody. If you can use the, you know, the Gmail suite and do mm -hmm. a scheduled send on that check-in email, like like my closest colleague uses that all the time. And yep. I think it's brilliant. Like I'm jumping into that world too, because I think it is a nice way to like, okay, you can have it really fresh in your mind what you were talking about and what they said they wanted you to check in with. Write it right away when they leave and schedule it for the time that you said you would check in with them. It's it's kind of awesome. Yeah. And it goes along with what I was mentioning with our meetings with the principal. It's the same thing. It's if you have something tangible on your calendar, then even if it doesn't happen, you can move it or shift it versus it just kind of becoming vapor <laughs> and not happening, right? Well, and I think we've been talking kind of about our last segment, like what are some useful hacks or tools? Um, and these are going to come straight out of my pack mule backpack. Um, 
as I've been famous. Mary Poppins bag goes. <laughs> yeah. But no, it is that we are an Indiana Jones Explorer themed episode today. So it is my Explorer back. Back, back. I thought I like to think it's like an entire burrow like loaded down with all your books, Casey. <laughs> Exactly. And Gates, his team is very well prepared, obviously, because it's a scripted TV show. If he needs to go rock climbing, he's got his rock climbing gear. If he needs to go scuba diving, he's got his scuba suit. All of that stuff is already packed, just like we as coaches need to have our tools. So one of the first things I did is I created kind of a welcome video introducing myself to the staff because I knew I would see some of them and others might take a little bit longer to me to get to. And I included that little welcome video on our coaching team's coaching newsletter. So having some sort of newsletter or communication that you craft on a regular basis to your teachers keeps you fresh in their minds. So we chose this year to not only send it via email, but because sometimes email gets lost in shuffles and eventually it may become noise. We've also done one of my favorite moves and included it in printed version on the staff bathrooms. Just so it was something <laughs> too that in an ideal world, teachers will use the restroom. What's the clever school, name you have for it? I'm sure you have something. <laughs> this one is just a simple coaching connection. It doesn't have a cue like my previous role. We called it the news flush. Um, <laughs> We've had toilet times before. There's a bunch of different examples of this out on Twitter slash X slash whatever it is now. Um, but definitely look them up. There's some great examples out there. And for us this year, we chose to have different sections on our newsletter that align to kind of the big priorities our principal said in our initial meeting with him. Science of reading is big in our district, so we have a section on our coaching newsletter for academic vocabulary and comprehension. We are big on establishing a culture for learning. So how do we build relationships with kids, um, behavior management techniques? So that's our culture of learning section. And then we have another section over tier one strategies. So what are the different learning teaching moves we can make that will yield high impact for students? That's our other section. So we're very intentional about aligning any communication we send out to that particular newsletter. Super proud of it. And it's something I am really looking forward to leveraging. Emily, you had mentioned gathering little snapshots or tidbits yeah. on what people's lives are like. And we actually had a survey that was connected to our coaching newsletter that was tell us a little bit about you, but it was fun stuff. It was like, if you could pick an animal to be your personal mascot, what would it be? What's something you're grateful for? What's your theme song that you want to hear bopping as you pop into school? Like it's little things like that that we're also featuring faculty because we have a large staff. Yeah, that's in cute. In my current role. So other ways to build connections between our building as well. Another thing that I pride myself on doing is I have a coaching intake form. I never give it directly out to a teacher, but I use it whenever I have a true targeted coaching cycle with people. So what that means is we establish what success looks like. So in order for us to be successful at the end of this coaching cycle, what do you want to see? Um, I've got one teacher right now. We're going to be working on some behavior stuff and we may end up having a goal like we're going to decrease the amount of times she leverages her attention signal. 
you know, things like that or, or increases the effectiveness of it. Um, but clarifying up front what each of us sees as a success can help really set the coaching conversation off on a good place. We also go through like, what are the different ways you like to learn or what's your stake in the ground? What is one thing that you're not going to feel comfortable with as we move forward in this? And some people say, well, I'm not ready for small group instruction yet. Totally fine. I'm just going to be a support then. We'll figure out what else could look like later on in the future. So clarifying what those ground rules are or the rules for engagement are going to be. The other piece that is actually new that I'm super excited to share with the two of you, I have personally struggled in the last few years as a coach finding the best way to monitor my time, meaning the two of you were very diligent when we worked together in the same system about tracking our your appointments on a continuum. So like this appointment was connection building. This one was collaboration on a project. This one was consultation. I struggled with accurately monitoring those elements on the continuum. Have you seen the new tag creation tool in Google Calendar, you guys? Yes. Yeah. You can create your own tags mm -hmm. that will help you show how much time you have spent on a specific thing. So I'm starting to code my calendar by those colors so it will show me the percentage of my work that I do that is tied to that particular bucket. One of my new colleagues and supervisors showed me that. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to make things so much easier to track the types of engagements and activities I do so that I could say, hey, 75% of my time is spent on creating or attending PD. I can't have the impact I want to have on student learning if I am pulled in that direction. So it's kind of a cool little hack. If you haven't created your own custom labels in your calendar and you're a Google school, definitely check that out. I was just going to ask. Noted. Does Microsoft have it? Uh, I can't help you there. <laughs> womp, womp. <laughs> I've seen it. I definitely have seen it, but I work for a Microsoft school. I might have to use it right now. I'm just using green when I'm in the building and red when I'm not, but I think I can do yeah. better based on what you're saying. I'm, I'm intrigued. It's really cool. Like it actually shows that my culture of learning behavior is about half of my time as of last week. And I think that's really mm. going to come in handy. That's one of the questions or concerns we all have, right? As coaches, yeah. it's FTE. Like, can I better leverage that full-time equivalency to have another classroom teacher? And so being able to say, what our impact is, I think is super, super important and powerful. And mm -hmm. we've talked about it on this podcast before. Having that data point is really impactful. And yeah. to to tie a bow on what we were just even talking about in the ongoing and consistent meetings with your principal, having a seat at that table and talking instruction, you can even bring that trend data for your time into those meetings to talk about. This is what coaching work has happened over the last several weeks. Is my time in the area that you wanted or should we shift it somewhere? And what, what kind of 
shifts should be made in order to meet the needs and the priorities that we've set out as a team to to accomplish. And I think because of that FTE um, that FTE question, I would strongly encourage any new or relatively new coaches to be sure that you are using some sort of student learning monitoring tool. I know Diane Sweeney's has her RBCT results based mm-hmm. coaching tool, or having some sort of if you are at that stage in your coaching some sort of tool where you can capture student learning before and then after the coaching work that you have done is really going to help if that time ever comes for you to explain hey coaching is really powerful for our building here's why and here's the student learning outcomes that have happened as a result you bet that's what makes a coaching cycle a coaching cycle exactly. even thinking of that continuum as you're talking you know we do the the connections and the relationships that move into the collaborations and consultations that we eventually hope to get to that highest piece of the continuum of the depth of a coaching cycle and that's when we start talking we focus on growth over time and student achievement over time and you need that baseline data and then you measure it at the end is to illustrate that the efforts even to you in the partnership with your teacher. And this episode is kind of a teaser to something that, as you know, the three of us love, live and breathe coaching. We actually have had an opportunity for several summers now to facilitate a training that really is meant to serve as a boot camp for both new and seasoned coaches on how to really not only cast that net um, and, and move forward to explore what coaching will look like and sound like, but also have those tools available to progress monitor the impact in your implementation. So if you are interested in learning from us in a little bit more detail, please visit our website and let us know if you want a professional learning experience with us and our new organization, Grounded Learning LLC. So super excited. Yeah, definitely. All right. You guys ready for game time? Always. All right. So this one is all travel themed. So we're going to go back to an oldie but goodie, um, a would you rather. And many of these are actually based off of things that Josh Gates has done on his show, Expedition Unknown. So the first one, would you rather go cave diving with bats or explore an underground city? Well, I can answer this one. Minus the bats, I've already been cave diving, believe it or not. Yeah, I've been water spelunking before. So that is a thing that I have done and it was awesome. So I'm a little bit reluctant with the bats. I'm not going to lie. I think they're some of the most (laughs) rabid. Aren't they some of the biggest rabies carriers? (laughs) Yes, they are. I mean, but I'm up to date on my vaccines, so I think I'm going to roll with that. An underground city seems like it would be really cool, but I feel like I'd be really a lot more claustrophobic than I would be in a large cave system. So I'm going to go with the, going to go with the bats. Okay, uh, yeah, get your shots, feeble. Yeah. I am definitely. I was. We had rented a house a few summers ago and a bat was there and that was enough bats for me. So <laughs> underground city all the way. I, I love the thought of like the cities on top of other cities. I think that's super cool and interesting. So it would definitely be an explore an underground city for Beaches me. Beaches down in the caverns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scotland all the way, man. I love Yo. it. <laughs> all right. Tiebreaker, Jenny. <laughs> all right. Before I do, I must say thank you, Casey, for easing me into a game I can hang. (laughs) 
this is <laughs> this is a game I can hang. For yeah. the for anyone new listening, <laughs> I am infamously the worst at these. But would you rather? I can do. So for the tiebreaker, I would agree with Casey on this one. Shocking, I know, right, Casey? Right, you and right. I agreeing? <laughs> we what? It happens. On one. It happens. <laughs> so exploring an underground city, I agree. I mean, because it says bats, no thanks. And I, I too like the, you know, there's, in my formative years, I remember having to watch a lot of National Geographic with my father and at one point thought I might want to be like, well, I thought I would be, perhaps want to be a paleontologist, which I know is for dinosaurs. But nonetheless, I like that idea of being able to explore civilizations that have been there before us and be able to uncover things unknown or just find treasure. All of that sounds fun. Fine. I Batwoman walk alone. <laughs> <laughs> but you get you can get a couple of points there for saying you've already done it. So that's pretty impressive. Yes. Right. Yes. Have right. have caves spelunked. All right. Our next one. And again, all based on episodes. So definitely check them out if you have YouTube or travel channel. Would you rather go on a three-day hike through a dense rainforest or excavate a prehistoric creature from permafrost? This one's hard for me. Most of you might, both of you might think it'd be an easier dead giveaway because Casey and rainforest equals no bueno. <laughs> yeah. I sweat horrible. Like in I a, knew a you were going to say this. Air conditioned yep, room. Yep, this I'm all comes sweating freaking bullets. Yes. <laughs> but here's the, here's the mega problem with this. I am incredibly sensitive to smells. <laughs> so a creature thawing from permafrost like permafrost has like notoriously terrible smells because mm. you have all of these organisms decomposing and different set it's just, uh, thousands of so years of deterioration difficult. sped up yeah. yes it's awful so i think because of the possibility of seeing some cool animals still living I think I'm going to pick the hike through the rainforest, but know that I am going to be miserable the entire <laughs> journey. Interesting. Because at least the smell wouldn't make me throw up on cue. All right. So I'm going to take an opportunity to not go rogue and I'm going to match you on that because I'm just going to stick to the methodology that I'm already using, things that I have already proven myself willing to do on vacation. I have not gone three days in the rainforest. I definitely spent a entire day hiking through the rainforest in Costa Rica. I loved it. There were monkeys. There were cool birds. Like it was awesome. There were I saw multiple kinds of monkeys. My husband saw a boa constrictor, so that part was less awesome for me. I don't like snakes, but I don't know. It's really cool and unique to see just the diversity of wildlife there. And I like a good hike too. That's good. If you had said I was like excavating like dinosaur bones or fossils, I would have been all in on that. Yeah. But yeah, the actual like decomposing matter of their bodies is nasty. I'm not into that either. No, Take okay. me back to the Costa Rican rainforest. I will do it again. Does part of the excavating require you to be in the Arctic? That's where permafrost is. I know that. I know that. But I haven't. I I know that much, Beach. But I was wondering if they had already pulled it out of the Arctic, and you're in a lab doing. Okay, well, I guess no. that's. Oh, yeah. No, you're, that's okay. You're like. That's. What, I didn't know if somebody did that work already, and then you're doing the. Well, I guess it does no, say excavate. That's, so. that's the excavation yeah, that part. part. 
Oh, so you are the person bringing it to the lab. Yeah. Got it. So, but then that's why I'm wondering, Casey, because you're throwing me off here because it wouldn't be defrosting yeah. yet and you wouldn't smell anything. So I'm thinking too hard here on this one. You're thinking too hard. It yeah. would smell terrible because no matter what, scientific. it's starting to melt. But if you're in the and- Arctic, it's cold. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, but global warming, buddy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Climate change. Is so that one's just throwing yeah. me off all kinds of things, obviously. And yes, I know that the permafrost is in the Arctic, but I hate being cold. <laughs> I don't want to be cold. And that's why I had to ask for clarification if I'd be in a lab or not. So I then will choose the rainforest for many of the reasons that, Emily, you mentioned, especially. I'm thinking also you're going to run into probably an awesome waterfall or two, and there's going to be some Mm -hmm. really cool birds and butterflies, and I'm sure there's the the snakes and the bugs and stuff that I will keep keep the um, giant mosquitoes at bay, but I would much rather be in a rainforest than freezing cold in the Arctic. I think we had a three-way match, and we therefore did. we have all yes. won ourselves uh, matching hiking boots for for our our hike. New Year expedition, <laughs> yep. for sure. All right. Okay, so wrapping up the game then, we'll move into a taste of what's to come in our upcoming episodes. Yeah, perfect. We are going to very shortly be joined by an excellent guest. Dr. Amy Stewart is going to be joining us to discuss the science of reading. Really hot topic in education right now, so we're going to be diving into that with her. Cannot wait. And for any of you out there who are Star Wars fans, keep an eye out there for the metaphor. <laughs> you know the Star Trek episode was a hit, so we'll see how these go. Yep, here yep. we go. Yep, the other just... side of the galaxy yep. coming yep. up. Now we're leaving the Earth and out into space. Come on down. All right, see ya. And that's a wrap on today's episode. It's always so fun to be behind the mics talking to you, our GLG fam. Thanks for choosing to come around to engage with our guild's content as we passionately continue to advocate for adult learners with transparent conversations about the world of education, impactful leadership, and the power of high-functioning teams. The Grounded Learners Guild is a production of Grounded Learning, LLC. If you'd like to connect, the power of the PLN continues. As always, you can find us on our website, thegroundedlearnersguild.com. While you are there, check out our past episodes, our socials, and learn how you can bring the GLG flavor to your next professional learning event. And yep, you know, your feedback is everything. Feedback is that powerful tool that allows us to be responsive to the topics that matter to you most. If you haven't yet already or are finding us for the first time, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button. You can find us wherever you stream. Thanks as always for tuning in to be a part of the Grounded Learners Guild. That's it for us, Casey, Emily, and me, Jenny, in today's episode. See you all at the next Guild meeting. And don't forget, in the meantime, do your best to stay grounded.